Master your finances. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances, presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional located in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can contact me directly at 609 716 Four seven zero zero. This week, very pleased to have with us Robert Blanda, who was raised in Voorhees, New Jersey. After graduating from uh, Trenton Regional High School in 1990, Robert was an intern at Warner Brothers, Geffen Records, and Polygram Records in New York City, and then attended Rutledge University, which is no longer in existence, on a 100% paid scholarship from the IBM Novell owned and accredited school in Atlanta, Georgia, earning an accelerated certified network engineering degree in 1994. Robert continued to work with IBM EduQuest uh, and for nearly 11 years before setting out on a four-year consulting journey across the United States for companies such as Air Products, Core States Bank, and Merrill Lynch. Today, Robert and his corporate partner, Lori Steidel, own and operate Caddis Art, a debt-free digital marketing and cinematic video production company in Florence, New Jersey. Robert, appreciate you coming on today. I know we have a lot to talk about. Um, I guess we could start by maybe giving us a little bit of your background and how you kind of drew, were drawn into this uh, into this business. I mean, you it sounds like you weren't on the farm. I'm, I'm going to guess you didn't do a lot of network engineering as a as a <laughs> farmer's son growing up. I'm just going to make a guess there. No, but thanks for having me on. This is uh, this is a great opportunity, and it's nice to talk to you again, Kurt. Uh, yeah. So yeah, growing up on a farm had nothing to do with my education, but it, it certainly formed uh, a, a, a very solid uh, work ethic. That's for sure. Um, you know, up at 4 a.m. and bed at nine o'clock and. You know, even during the school year, it was uh, very difficult. So it was a very, very hard um, childhood, you know, working uh, one and a half jobs, I'll say, and, you know, going to school and still trying to get straight A's and, and uh, so on and so forth. So that, you know, that right there should teach you a little bit about how often um, my weekends even um, I'm up at four, you know. Well, that's good. Yeah, well, good work ethic is great. I mean, I, I I, I honestly, I think that's a key thing just for all of us. I mean, the more that you do, and you're, the more habits we develop that are positive habits and worth that is a great one. You just, it just becomes part of your routine. And so you get up and you, you jump right in, you get it done. And it sounds like you were working a lot of hours. And I know uh, on a farm, the, you know, the things don't wait for you, right? I mean, if you need to, if you need to get the eggs, they're not going to wait right <laughs> just keep coming whether you like it or not you're gonna have to go pick them up right <laughs> the crops yeah. need to be taken care of they uh, they have their own little schedule so uh, they don't they don't really that you can't you can't adjust right you've got to work to the schedule and it's got to get done yeah and so uh, i mean that's obvious um and that's one of the main things i think a lot of entrepreneurs don't have trouble learning initially is that you have all this freedom but then you have all this freedom so you have to set your own schedules and you have to really um, do all that. So setting up a good worth ethic and getting good habits in place early, I'm sure has been very helpful to you for, throughout the years. So how did you transition from that and being a restaurant owner? I'm assuming that a lot of stuff you grew on the farm, maybe did that go into the restaurant that you're, um, 
Did your father have? Yes, yeah, yeah, some of it, not all of it, of course. Okay. Um, but and again, I, I I probably spent way more time at the restaurant than I did on the farm. In fact, there was okay. there was people managing the farm at the same time, so I can't can't take uh, absolute credit for that. So, okay. Um, but but yeah, it, you know, once I was ready to graduate high school, I had to make a decision about what I was going to do. And I, I certainly didn't want to work in the restaurant business my whole life because I know mm-hmm. people that have. And while while being a noble profession is hard work, and I didn't see myself, um, you know, gaining any kind of super salary <laughs> by working right. in a restaurant. I give them all credit, by the way. I, people that have owned them for 20-some-odd years, I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. I absolutely agree with you. I know a number of people who work in the restaurant business. They work very, very hard for what they do. It's, it's, and I'm so glad they're out there um, doing that every day because I enjoy going to the restaurants. That's for sure. And I know it is a hard job. So, um, you grew up with it. So you, you pivoted at that point, right? So when you got out of high school, um, what kind of drew you to the tech side? It looks like kind of got drawn into that a little bit, right? Well, I always, I always loved the audio video side of the world. And when I went to work for a local contractor who had contracts with uh, these record companies in New York City, they decided that once I, once I was able to, uh, you know, for the beginning of the summer, so to speak, they would shoot me off to New York City, and there was a shared uh, apartment in New York City that the interns would use. So. Uh, the the interesting part about that is that I actually got to work at not just Warner Brothers or not just Geffen or not just Polygram. And I think Atlanta Atlantic Records was, was spewed in there somewhere. But it gave me the opportunity to meet all the people at all four companies, number one, and see what they were doing. So, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of times the uh, <laughs> Geffen would ask me what Polygram was doing and what are they working uh-huh. on today? Because they were competitors, but we were still contractors for all four companies. <laughs> It was interesting. Uh, but most of my days were spent uh, splicing tape, which by today's standard is pretty boring. It doesn't even exist anymore. Actual tape, like the old days? <clears throat> yeah. You had to actually splice it together? Yeah, it was 32-track, 2-inch uh, oh tape. Goodness. Yeah, it was interesting. That was a skill. I remember that. That's a real skill. <laughs> <laughs> I had razor uh, cuts on my fingers, and yeah, after a full day. But uh, it was, oddly enough, we shared this apartment, which was above an, a deli on, uh, I believe it was 8th Avenue. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, every time you'd come home, it smelled like onions, you know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Everything smelled like onions. But yeah, <laughs> but it was a good background. It laid a really good foundation for all that. So I had I had met um, uh, a, a team from um, IBM that offered me some opportunities uh, to uh, get an education and to work for them. And uh, this was their EduQuest division, which was um, the direct competitor of Apple at the time to get into the K twelve market. So. In fact, IBM EduQuest did really well for a long time. Uh, they they were outselling uh, Apple's uh, Apple II products in the classroom and uh, teamed up with Novell at the time. Uh, they were creating what's called courseware. It's software for K-12. Um, and we would have to go out and install the servers. And I and eventually I had a team of my own. And, and uh, you know, it was like 12 guys and me. I would set up the server. They would do all the workstations, the cabling and for each classroom. Um, and then we'd have to collect uh, connect all the classroom. Now, this is way before Ethernet even existed. This was uh, it was called Tembase 2, which is... Um, 
it, it was very antiquated uh, BNC kind of telephone cable um, mm-hmm. that we would have to literally get up in the ceilings and crawl from one classroom to the other and drop the cable down and, and run it from there. So it was very interesting. It was very back in the day. So, um, so yeah, we did that. I did that for a long time. And, and during the time that I worked for IBM, they sent me uh, down to Atlanta. And it wasn't one long four-year stretch. It was back and forth. Um, but uh, they paid for my education and paid for me to get my CNE, which is the Certified Network Engineering Program that they had, um, which today really doesn't is, – is kind of worthless because the technology has changed so much. But, uh, yeah, they, right. but they paid all that, and I made a salary, which was really nice. So No, that's a fantastic. Yeah, you're bringing back memories. I remember when Novell was like the, the network, right? I mean, yeah. it was like that's what everybody wanted set up, and – and nowadays, you just, you know, they, they send you the equipment, you plug it in, and it seems to work pretty well, at least from a basic standpoint. From a, yeah. For most people, I know it gets more sophisticated than that, but we've come a long way from, like, having to spend all that time setting these networks up. Uh, it was a real, you know, you had to pay people to get it up and running. It wasn't something you just plug in and have it work. Right, so, right. Uh, That's true. Yeah, so I understand that. So you, yes, yeah, so it's great. So, you, so basically, you, got, you had you had this great opportunity. You went to New York City as an intern, and you met all these people, and you found that that's where you got the opportunity. So. I think a lot of times young people think, you know, what do I do to get the next job? But but you put yourself in a position to meet a lot of people, which I, and I think that's really key for young people in their networking. Um, and ultimately, it led to, you know, the EduQuest over at IBM and, and really kind of started your whole career, it sounds like, right? Yeah, it was definitely a jump off point. That's for sure. Yeah, that's so that's amazing. So once you were with IBM, I don't think you're there anymore. So what what happened after IBM? After IBM, um, I decided to uh, go back to consulting uh, a little bit with a company called CompuCom. And they still exist today. In fact, my brother worked for them for a short period of time. Uh, CompuCom uh, was, you know, they, they had dipped their toes in, in a lot of different companies. And, and one of them was Merrill Lynch. And I remember being in the... Uh, uh, the private portfolio group, uh, you know, it was kind of two doors down from the trading desk. So it was always kind of noisy, uh, the day traders, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I had some idle time and, and really back in the time, they, you know, this is the, this is when the internet is fresh and brand new. And, and, uh, so I, I, I started to really dislike it support. Um, it was taking a toll on me. It was extra hours. It was a lot of frustration, especially when you're dealing with financial people that um, that need their computers up and running. So uh, at, at some point, I had sat down at my desk and had some idle time, and I learned about this new thing called HTML. And uh, I was working in the first versions of Photoshop and, and uh, decided to maybe try to make my own website because like, maybe now I can kind of crack out that creative side of what I was doing because let's be honest there's not a whole lot of creative in IT so <laughs> <laughs> there really isn't I mean unless unless you right. figure out a great way to wrap a cable which is pretty boring yeah. but normally uh, we get creative in IT it doesn't work out well yeah <laughs> well, the best part about um, having a creative side, yeah, about about having a creative side and having IT experience is there's not many of us out there. Right. It's usually one or the other, you know. That's you, true. You know, you ask for a web designer and you'll get a graphics person. You ask for a web developer, you get a programmer. So there's two different people altogether. Well, originally, originally to start up a website was not like it is now. You really had to be pretty technically savvy to build a website. I mean, that was not... Even today, there's a lot of tech side to it, but you can put up a basic site pretty easily now. But a lot of that's templated, and people forget just how complicated the, these sites are behind the scenes. They're actually pretty complicated. 
Yeah, so uh, in fact, uh, the only major corporations really had a public-facing website, such as, uh, you know, Merrill had their own. In fact, they had an intranet and an extranet, and then you had, uh, you know, the major companies like AT&T. So, uh, of course, I'm sitting at my desk while I'm learning this stuff, so I, I there's there's a, a, a protocol called FTP, which just stands for File Transfer Protocol. It's a way to get your local files on your computer up to that web server so they can be served to the public. So I, I looked at the AT&T website, which back then was very, very rudimental. You know, it was just rudimentary. Uh, oh, it was awful. It was just bad graphics, and but it, it served its purpose at the time. So I said, let me see what makes this thing tick. And I found the file path to the server, and I, <laughs> I'm sad to say that I actually broke their website. Uh Oh, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, there wasn't well, there wasn't much cybersecurity back then. In fact, it was actually a Unix server that was just left open for anybody to get in. And that's exactly what I did. I just wanted to poke around and see what made it tick. And Mm -hmm. I incidentally, I deleted some files and moved the directory by accident or something along those lines. And I went back to check the website on the public side again and it wasn't there it was producing a 404 error which means it couldn't uh, be found right <laughs> so here i am wait, wait here i am at barrel lynch and i'm like looking over my shoulder going they know where this came from i mean if they traced it back they could figure that out sure so, so you know the next three days i'm scared out of my wits you know that i'm gonna get arrested or something nothing ever happened but yeah, they probably fixed it. Once they figured it out, they probably fixed it, as you know. But, all right, Rod, this is fantastic. Now, now that you broke the site, we'll figure out what you've learned from that, I guess. And we'll come back with uh, Rob Landa, and we're talking about um, it, your transition, I guess. At this point, you went from tech into learning a little bit of HTML. And before the break, um, I guess you accidentally brought down the AT&T website for a period of time. Yeah, so, unfortunately. Uh, did, but we learn, right? Unless you tinker, you don't learn. A lot of people forget that that's uh, that's actually a key to learning, right? It put your hands on stuff, yeah. Play around a little, you figure out what works, what doesn't work. Um, ultimately, that does make you a better web designer. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for AT and T, you learned on their site. But so what? Once you kind of, it sounds like you really got in this. You're using the, the your tech side and creative side together, which the web is excellent for that, right? You kind of get a blend of both of those. Um, so what did you do next after uh, after you started learning about? web design and getting better at it well after i i think after i again i'm still networking this whole time and meeting new mm-hmm. people and, and trying to trying to break into that creative business which i knew off the bat would be less money um than actually working in it because i was really headed towards um you know upper tier positions in different companies that i could have taken i just wasn't ready uh to do that so I had met some people that uh, that introduced me to other web developers, and then you know you, you, you go visit their offices, and they you know it, it it's like uh, you know not to use that same analogy again, but it was like Apple versus IBM, where you had the creative people, and then you had the the tech people, but they're they're working in kind of the same office, and you know <laughs> let's be honest with you, it's apples and oranges to be honest, you know trying to get uh, those people to get along and work together, that's a whole different ballgame, but recognize the fact that they are two separate entities trying to create one product so um i really spent a lot of time with the creative people there and eventually i i took some part-time work uh with a company in cherry hill um they're no longer around 
but I was there. I ended up being their lead graphic designer, and I worked hand in hand with the development team to 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 make uh, products that they had, you know, they had customers for. So, um, I, I I I really dove hard into Adobe Photoshop in its infancy stages, um, back to version. Oh, gee, this was before the CS line, before the Creative Cloud. It was like version two or three. I can't even remember. Yeah. That's made quite, quite, quite a lot of changes over over the years. But once I became kind of an expert on that, I was able to share that and 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 uh, and still understand the tech people and create standards for that company for file naming schemes and to keep things organized on the servers and so on and so forth. So I became a pretty uh, used asset i'll say used uh because they just kept yanking me in different directions but after that um i said you know i can really now i don't i don't need any of these people to be successful anymore so i kind of branched off and and left that job to start my own adventure but prior to that um i i had to build an e-commerce website so it we were they were literally selling products on the website and photography became a part of my every day so you know you go out and get yourself a, a good camera and at the time it was switching between uh film and digital it was just the kind of that crossover period went out and got some great camera gear uh then later switched over to digital uh literally became uh, a photographer um, and, and you don't just become a photographer I, I did my homework i did my research i worked with great photographers um uh doing everything from product photography to executive headshots weddings oh and kurt i'll never do another wedding again if they pay me a million dollars i've heard that before <laughs> so again now we're taking all this technology and, and kind uh -huh. of mending it together and i back it, it was 2004 at the time and i said i'm going to start my own company that's it i'm going to be in business for myself and i'm going to try this on my own and i had a little backup from ibm in the bank account just in case um so uh, long story short, uh, it, it was pretty successful. And when I say pretty successful, it was more than I'd expected. Mm -hmm. um, and, and back, you know, back then, if you were earning fifty, sixty thousand dollars and paying your bills, and you know, I was working from home, uh, it was worth it. It was worth every penny. Right. So, uh, or every every minute, I should say, because I I worked long, hard hours. And and my current wife at the time was uh, also working from home, so of course we were at each other's throats. So we ended up uh, buying an office, not buying, but uh, renting an office in Sewell, New Jersey, which is down South Jersey. And I hired uh, a, a couple of people to help me out because we were starting to get busy. Now, we actually shared that office with another company, which was an IT company, and they were feeding us business. So now we're, we're starting to get really busy. And I, I honestly was overwhelmed. I started hiring more people. And then, you know, you have to kind of figure out the skill set that you really are looking for, but you won't know that until you get them in there, you know? So uh, we had, uh, it, was a, it was a young woman from Korea who barely spoke English, but was one of my most valuable employees because she really knew uh, code in and out. So she was kind of my, my left hand. But my right hand um, was more of a project manager and she was great with the clients. And uh, so she was kind of my, uh, my you know, my brick wall uh, between having to talk to the clients and allowed me to do the production work and oddly enough uh she had left for a teaching gig uh you know sometime short after that and and now i think uh, what, almost 15 years later she's now back with catasart 
working with us wow. full time, uh, and she has uh, a, a part ownership in the company. So, I, I if anybody has called our office and, and talked to Laurie, she's mm-hmm. uh, she's just something else. I I could not do this job without her, hands down. Yeah. So, yeah. you brought up a lot of interesting things as far as starting up and transitioning from a from a you know a concept to saying I'm going to do this. But I noticed a couple pieces in there you put in that are really critical. One is you had kind of, you know, IBM, you had a little bit of a backup, you know, you had a little bit of a cushion there, right? Um, You also, it looks like you set up some kind of an affinity relationship with this IT company where they could help to feed you some business. So you, through your networking, it it looks like like that's a really big part of this, right? One is you financially had a little bit of a backup just in case. There is a startup phase, regardless of what you're doing. Sure. Um, When you transition from working from somebody into your own business, there's always a little bit of a dip until um, things really get rolling, even if you start off immediately, right? Because you still got a bill and you still got to get paid. You still got to do the project. So um, sometimes people underestimate that, but it sounds like you planned for that. But you also... We're networking in order to, uh, you know, the IT, I think that was great, right? So how do you, and the other thing I saw is that you, it sounds like you found some appropriate talent right away. So you want to touch on a little bit how you, how you put all those pieces in place before you actually stepped off and said, okay, I'm on my own now. Uh, you probably did some. It sounds like you did a little work ahead of time on that. Yeah, Am I, wrong? I was. I was doing yeah. side work at nighttime, okay. um, and and that was great. It was a great opportunity to fail because I, I had that fallback. So if I if right. I didn't know how to do something, it gave me time to learn it. If I if it didn't exist, I it gave me time to write it. Uh, and, and as I did that, I was I was reaching out onto these uh, you know these these bulletin board systems and talking to people, and I kind of kept it local to New Jersey. So I had the opportunity to meet people that were local. So after I kind of started making money, I'm like, are you, do you want some part-time work or, you know, so I ended up with, uh, ultimately, I think we had five or six people once we were in Sewell and, mm-hmm. um, you know, some part-timers, some full-timers come and go. And, you know, with, with that type of business, it's, since it's new, you have a lot of turnover. Uh, right. You don't know what their capabilities are until you really put them in that line. But, mm-hmm. um, but, that's pretty much how we got there. The focus in the beginning was governmental contracts, uh, mainly municipals and um, counties. And we did, and now there's 52 municipalities in New Jersey. And it was our goal to hit every single one of them. And we did hit every one of them. We didn't get, we didn't bring them all home because there was two other companies that were competing for that business. And I'll never forget it. So, you know, you end up at a, at a trade show like... Um, the New Jersey League of Municipalities. That was our biggie. We always brought home a lot from that um, because we would show off uh, how to do uh, how to build websites for those clients specifically with the the code book uh, available and a registration process. And then you you broke it into all these different categories like pet registrations and bicycle thefts and you know all these little and the police department. So they were all a part of this big umbrella of one package that we sell to these uh, to these townships. And we sold quite a bit of them and we to this day i still have four or five of them mm-hmm. um and they've been with us since day one and you know but then then they start getting the the little mom and pops they come in and you know they they see that price tag they want to run so we had to kind of dumb it down and make a package that we could just easily kind of deploy as a template uh for the little guys until you know, until they want something custom and then they grow with us. And again, there, there's there's companies that, that started off as mom and pop that are bigger now that we still have to this day after uh, 16 years of, of building websites. So One thing I thought was interesting is you started off with government. And anytime I hear people talk about 
dealing with government agencies. They they talk about bureaucracy. They talk about how long it takes, how difficult it is to deal with them. It sounds like you target them initially. Was there a specific reason that you thought that was better? I know it sounds like you set up a template for everybody, which it sounds like that's a great business plan. But was there a reason you said, let's go after the municipalities? Actually, I, I don't remember the decision to do that but but i knew that they were um they were lacking in that area already number okay. one and number two it was a bigger business model that had okay. the opportunity to attract county level and then state level and, and so on and so forth so i thought there was uh there was a, a an opportunity for growth within our company by showing what we could do okay so you saw a need that, and that, that often happens right the private industry starts to develop websites or whatever the case may be new technology and the government agencies tend to lag, right? They don't want to be first in because they don't know what's going on, right? They're like, I don't want to do that yet. I don't know what's going to happen. So <laughs> uh, once it's kind of a proven thing, like, okay, we're ready. And people are complaining, hey, look, I can't register my uh, my dog net, you know, on your site. Why do I have to come down now? Everybody, everybody else I go, I can do it online, right? And so they go, okay, I guess we'll update and we'll spend the money and we'll do it. Um, but it sounds like it was very successful. And so how did you find that as a just as a business dealing with the municipalities? It sounds like I mean, how did you find that to be? It, it It's funny because a lot of uh, I'll, I'll say, the, first of all, the whole voucher process was new to me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, purchase order voucher, it, it, you know, back and forth before you got a check. But we wanted to get them off off and running quickly. We <clears throat> excuse me, we could we could essentially build a website. As long as we had their information and have it up and running within a week, and uh, and, and they were they're rather large websites because a lot of different departments and right. So um, yeah, that that and and everybody was net one twenty, <laughs> even though our invoices yeah. said net thirty. You know, right. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes it was tough getting paid. Again, some townships are better than others, and some would pay right away, and I never had a problem. Um, you know, I. Sprinkle a few schools in there that we did too. They were mm-hmm. they they tend to be the worst. Uh, getting that getting that cash flow to to be steady. Well, that's the bureaucracy. That's kind of I guess that's what I was alluding to. Is it some? It just takes a long time for some of the processes to take a place. So especially when you got to make payroll, you know. Yeah, you just got to you just got to plan for all that stuff ahead of time. But overall, it sounded like you set up a good template. You ran with it, um, and so uh, excellent idea. Great way to get started. Uh, we'll take a little break here. Um, you've been listening to Master Your Finances. Uh, we'll be right back. Rob Blanda of Cadiz Art. And last segment, we were talking a little bit about how you got started, how you focused on municipalities and, and set up really a robust template for them, went out, sold to them, went to their actual um, association type meetings, which I'm a huge believer in. We do that for our nonprofit. Um, go to where the, your event, go to where your clients are, right? And find them and, and create something niche for them. And you did that. So after you had that huge initial success, um, I mean, how did things go from there? I know every business seems to have you know, ebbs and flow. I mean, you got that going. So what did you do next? Did you find any challenges after that? Yeah, of course. I think every business goes through this, uh, this little dip. Um, We found that uh, the the payroll was killing us a little bit. That was first. So as much as I absolutely hate to let good people go, um, you kind of have to at some point. So I think we ended up uh, after taking a dip and, and, you know, we had problems getting payment from certain customers. And and of course, I'm back to doing all the production work. So I, of course, I'm not out there selling. Uh, So it 
it was kind of a chain reaction as to why the business wasn't doing well. And I now, in hindsight, I'm looking back and I know what I did wrong, which was a great learning experience. Uh, so at, at one point, it was it was getting bad enough that I had to make sure that uh, the company stayed on its feet, uh, and I I didn't have to let all of my employees go. So one of the important things that I think I did during that time was I said, okay, uh, who's the biggest liability here? Uh, and that was me. That was me. I was the one that was making the most. I was, you know. So what I did was I, I said, Let, what happened if I took myself out of the equation? So and and I I put um, I put someone in charge to do the everyday administrative tasks. I put someone in charge of managing the project itself from a uh, production standpoint. And then I said, let me go out. I'll get a full-time job so I can take myself off the payroll entirely. So that freed up some of the, the finances to keep the company afloat without having to let the people go, which was my biggest concern. Uh, so I did that, and I got a full time job, and I was happy. I had now I have benefits and everything through this other company, and all that all that pressure uh, was relieved from Catasart, and and now it started to run pretty well. It, it was self sustaining, you know, uh, with monthly fees coming in on a regular basis for hosting and and you know all the domains, all, all the uh, the recurring fees, um, and, and then you know you know put it on top of that all the new production work coming in. It was starting to work well, and I was still in touch. Uh, probably not as much as I should have been. Um, so when I got a full-time job, and actually it was a couple in a row until I found what I really liked, and and that led us uh, back to, I guess, uh, February 2019 was when I officially came back on full-time. So I, I decided I, I needed to just go and, and make sure that everything was up and running the way it should be. And to my surprise, it really wasn't. Uh, there, there, was, there was a lot of accounting problems. There were, you know, certain jobs weren't uh, insured properly. And anyway, long story short, there were issues that had to be fixed before I knew I could really make sure that this business was where it should be. And I did. I cracked down. And what I did was I only um, I, I had to let someone go. Uh, the, the, that particular person was uh, was running the day to day and not doing a very good job, in my opinion. Uh, so after I let that person go, all this administrative fell back in my lap once more. And I said, I need to uh, a get some retainer clients to keep that money flowing in, which I did, and hire a project manager to make sure that everything that was being requested of us got done. So that that person was fulfilled by a very very nice young lady that we hired before Laurie came back, and she did a fantastic job. Uh, but um, after that, you know, uh, Laurie started freeing up all of my time. So I could do several things. A, develop new products. B, uh, get some of the hardcore production work done that I just didn't either trust anyone else to do or felt that no one else could do it. Uh, and so we started developing some, some new things. And then we also started to change the focus of the business because, again, going back to my photography days, I wanted to, I, I loved that creative side. I still wanted to do graphics and video editing and, and, and grab some good camera gear. So that's exactly what we did. Now, we didn't 
we didn't drop any specific function of our business. We just added. So if you look at Catasar today, uh, we, we've got a whole plethora of, of, of skill sets that are handled by either me or Laurie or someone else. We've got some contractors coming in that help us out on occasion, and we, we try to keep that overhead low. And, um, you know, now we're hiring camera operators, which unfortunately are come and go. They're high turnover rate because it's one of those jobs that – Pretty much, uh, it, it's it's almost like working at McDonald's, um, where once you learn the job, you can just pick up and go somewhere else and do it. Uh, whereas the production work and the graphics and the video editing and the 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 style that I wanted, uh, which was cinematic, and I'll get in that in a minute, I wanted to maintain my level of um, of creative process. Uh, so I had to really make sure I depended on specific people to do specific things. So we were, we basically filtered out everything, let people go, and we said, we got to start from scratch. You, yeah, you just point out a number of things that I think are important for entrepreneurs to understand or people starting a business. One is um, that you were able to set up the business, it may not have been 100%, in a fashion that you could step out and literally go get a full-time job. Although when you came back, it wasn't being run quite the way you wanted to, which means you probably didn't have the ideal person in place. But that's actually what they tell us as entrepreneurs. At some point, you want to get your business to the level where you could literally not have to be there and it would still run. And the fact that you you know, replaced your day-to-day -day person, brought in the project manager, and now you have Lori in there helping you out, which now allows you to go out and focus on new products and doing projects that basically your highest and best use, things that you can do that maybe nobody else would be able to do. And these are all lessons that, um, we, you know, you can talk about them all day long, but it, it's really until you live it, um, I think it re you really understand it, right? In my opinion, I know that I've been through many of these cycles and I understand that. So, I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I, I think what you pointed out is exactly what I was trying to say. Then you just said it better. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but but this this also prompted um, some some conversations with our CPA, who we'd had since day the day we incorporated, um, uh, and and he said you know, because I had all these accounting problems now. So, of course, you know, the whole QuickBooks thing is a mess. It's not matching up with what the bank is. So I'm going crazy. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And there were some problems that I care not to divulge in this conversation. But uh, today they're all fixed. So once we got all that pro those problems fixed, I sat down with my accountant and said, what can we do to make sure that every single time we do something great, we can invest back in the company again so we can do more great stuff? So. Right. And he gave me some great pointers, some great tips. Uh, and remember, we are uh, one hundred. We've always been, almost always, a uh, hundred percent debt free. And not, not a lot of companies can say that. Right. Uh, the only thing we had at one point was a revolving line of credit for payroll when our payroll was high. So, uh, other than that, we've never taken a loan. Uh, we paid cash for everything. We made sure that we were very frugal in our spending, um, and and made sure that, uh, the, for instance, our hosting farms where we host all of our websites, uh, we got the best deal on. We shopped around who had the best speeds, who had the best this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. So we were very frugal, and and we absolutely stayed, and to this day, one hundred percent debt free. We don't owe anyone anything. Yeah, another thing I think that you pointed out that I didn't mention was that you you started setting up people on retainers, and I and I and I I preach this all the time to small business owners, including our nonprofit. Like you have to develop, in my opinion, you have to find ways to develop a recurring stream of, of reliable income 
just for yourself or your business, something that's pretty reliable. And I think retainers maybe helped you with that. I know, you know, subscriptions, there's lots of things that most businesses can do to try to encourage their current client base to continue to engage with them, right? In one way, shape or form. Um, Because they probably want to, if they like you and you're doing a good job, they would love to continue that relationship, right? So um, I I think that's a really important uh, recurring, I mean, restaurants learn this, most of the business comes to repeat clients, things like that. There's a lot of businesses out there that you point to it and, and really until they get that recurring stream coming in, they're struggling because as soon as something a dip, they're 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 in trouble, right? Because all of a sudden, wow, what's going on, right? Yeah. Um, so there's two sides to that, Kurt. There's um, the, the hosting fees, uh, and some of some of our customers pay monthly and some pay yearly. Uh, right. uh, the hosting fees were the smaller side of that. So you know, if you take all of our hosting fees from you know one year, it probably would equal one month of one of our good retainer clients. So right. it was still nice, you know. It was the butter on the bread, but it wasn't the bread and butter. Right. So you know, I and and by the way, kudos and thanks to uh, the Princeton Mercer Regional Chamber uh, for keeping me on. I I literally wanted to I, had, I wanted to get back to running my business, and they're like, no, 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 you can't leave us. <laughs> yeah. So we figured out a way to make it work for both of us. So again, what, they're one of our uh, retainer clients, and and they're great right. folks over there. And you know, oh, God yeah. bless everybody over there. And uh, Peter uh, Crowley, especially, <laughs> very approachable guy. Love him. I absolutely love Peter. And, they're amazing i agree jeez oh, and you know what they, they they run a neat ship over there i think it's very very yeah. it's different than any other organization that, that i've place ever has exploded with. since i've been a member i've been a member a little over 10 years maybe 11 now and it's just been amazing the development and the improvements over the years have just been incredible yes uh, i agree and i know you've been part of that so well, uh, thanks kudos to you too because I, I know you've been You've you've been kind of working the the framework under there. <laughs> well, yeah, I came in and uh, I came in just as a, a communication specialist, and I ended up uh, showing them like, no, we could do this here. We don't have to farm this out. I can do that. I right. can do this. I can do that. So I, you know, everywhere from the website to the graphics to the signage to the uh, even the bill, the digital billboards, the everything that they needed to do, I had that capability already. And I'm like, it, so I I think essentially I was saving them a ton of money. Uh, just and and staying on board. So when I left, um, I didn't leave for any bad blood or whatever. I I left because I really wanted to go back and pursue and make sure Catasart was back on its feet. So um, so when I left, we 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 talked about it um, and we decided to make him a retainer client. Now to this day, I mean, I I struggled for a long time in the beginning there until Laurie came back, and then I sat down with Laurie for days and taught her every single thing that I do for the chamber and. Now she's doing ninety, I'll say eighty to ninety percent of that, and thanks, thanks for her because it would be too much for one person to handle. uh, To be honest with you, Uh, but you know, you take that and it allows me to go off and do and film these documentaries and these uh, these interviews with people that am. By the way, we're Amazon partners. Uh, We you know Amazon will say we have a filmmaker that's building this film, but he's out in California. Can you interview this person? So I'll just do that little snippet of work for them. I shoot it off, and there, you know, it ends up in some film that I don't even, I don't even know where it goes half the time. <laughs> well, that's that's amazing. Uh, yeah, we got we got to take a little quick break here, but we'll de- when we come back, we'll definitely talk about some things you've been doing. Um, you know, since you basically went back full time, and I know the company is expanding, and you're adding a lot of things. Um, and we've got the thing uh, also how you've been managing through a little bit of this uh, disruption, let's just say, over the last few months, and and what you've seen as far as your company goes and and the overall uh, environment. Listening to Master Your Finances, we'll be right back. 
I'm Kurt Baker here with Rob Landa of Caddis Art. And uh, before the break, we're talking a little bit about how you had had a, a little bit of a difficult time. You decided to take on a, a full-time job. And when you came back, uh, just a little while back, a year or so ago, um, you, the person you had worked for for a little bit, they, they actually were kind enough. You, you'd set up a retainer agreement, right? And so you, you started setting up um, different ag agreements to kind of help you with a base income. And then that allowed you uh, having the structure in place and you hired Lori and you got some of the people in place the, that, that really kind of fixed some of the things that were not operating ideally when you were away. Um, and, but that, that opened up your time to work on some, some new projects that basically your expertise was needed for those things. So what are some of those things that you found that you could actually do once you kind of got all the other things fixed and you could kind of move forward and all the pieces were where they needed to be? Yeah. yeah so <clears throat> one of the important things that I, I probably skipped over was, uh, uh, I, I really have this deep love for video production and documentary storytelling, and I, I had this uh, this this love for video production in addition to photography and, and all the other skill sets that we had brought to the table. But I took a different approach to video production as you know than most companies do, and I wanted everything to be like a movie. I wanted it to be cinematic. I wanted it to be uh, very, very visually appealing. It wasn't just, um, you know, a news camera uh, where you're just got you've got footage and you're slicing it together and handing it off to the customer. I wanted it to be great. I wanted to to learn how to edit in 5.1 Dolby Digital DTS surround sound. I wanted to do it the right way because I didn't want to become a full time cinematographer. I wanted to mend this piece. Uh, to what we were doing great already and make it even better and, and offer more value to what we were doing. So w during that time, you know, I, I had taken uh, some of my own personal uh, money that I had stocked away and I went out and I got some of the best gear that money could buy um, to, to, to accomplish that cinematic look and feel. And as I worked with this equipment, I understood that my existing computers were not up to spec to handle uh, 4K, 6K, 8K cameras because they were just too slow. And so there was a couple of things I had to do uh, to make that work. Um, uh, specifically, I had to invent a product that did not exist. Now, uh, we don't obviously shoot on film anymore. We don't use tape anymore. Everything's digital. So we use these uh, these cartridges or magazines, we call them, with uh, SSD drives in them. They're very, very fast hard drives without mechanical moving parts, and they require very little power. Anyway, at the end of a shoot, if I was out two, three, four days at a, at a shoot, I'd end up with this big pile of magazines. Now I've got to offload it to the server, and I've, I'm like, this is a pain in the butt. It's wasting my time. Uh, I'm sitting here waiting for things to transcode into the right format that I can edit them in and so on and so forth. So I I, I went to a, 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 this little warehouse that was selling a lot of these uh, old computers and rat, server racks, stuff that was really out of date. And I mean, I was literally picking up full blown HP, um, you know, production servers out of a hospital uh, that, you know, for 20 bucks a pop, I bought like five of them. So I brought them back. I, some of the parts I took out, and I built my own server, and I built this uh, this very interesting, uh, what I call the Adonis 8 
Pepe Cage. So I called Animus, which is the company that we use to record our, uh, it's the actual item that records our video. So again, I'm back to holding all these, and I'm like, how do I do this? So I made a cage that you just take all the magazines, plop them in, and the computer says, okay, I see what you're doing here. And I wrote software that says, okay, let me transcode this, and then the next one I'll do the next one, the next one. And then it puts it on another server, transcodes it ready for uh, editing, and then when it, everything is verified that it's sitting in the right space, it goes back to the cage, formats the drives, you can pull them out, and you can put them right back in the camera again. So this process literally saved days and days of time. That innovation right there freed me up a little bit more. So the, 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 the servers would work at night as they're chewing up the video files, and I could just take the drive right back out and go back out and shoot the next day. So it was very important that that be put into place. Now, I like, like I said, I talked to Atomist. No product like that exists, and they're, you know, they were very kind of interested in it. I don't know where it went. I have to follow up, but um, you know, it's, it's little things like that, uh, and, and automating sales processes. Uh, not sales processes. Uh, production processes through uh, Stream Deck and macros. And uh, I'm the king of macros, by the way. So I literally. Yeah, that's it, what that sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's what that was or not. But I'm like, yeah, you, you took a repetitive cat task right you program it at once and now you don't have to keep doing it every day right yeah so that's because, you know, take Smart. the chamber for example there's a lot of the a lot of the things that have to be done and they're generally the same uh you know it might be one little variable in there but they're all the same so i created a process and literally it's a button i push a button and uh and 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 those things freed me up again to go out and and meet with more people and and create and create great video and learn and i i really wanted to further my education in the cinematic world so that's that's pretty much where i'm at now um but again it's it was a learning curve it was a process this is all new equipment this is not again it's not something you just buy off the shelf um and so you know you have to take that time to learn it and then you have to teach somebody on your staff how to use it that that's incredible taking it taking a process and automating it don't we hear about that all the time and i mean every business talks about that but you actually did it and now you've saved yourself literally days of time so yes. put in a little more effort up front but right over the long haul you're saving a huge amount of time right that's correct so yeah. so that's amazing so what have you noticed as far as some of the challenges we had uh Back a few months, uh, roughly, I guess it would be March of this year, February, March, when we had some very big shifts due to this COVID-19 issue that's going on. I mean, what did you notice there and uh, what did you see personally as far as your business goes and things like that? What did you see? Well, for one, um, we uh, because we are not a brick and mortar uh, all of our employees are remote, uh, and anything that we do, we're shooting off-site. So the, really, there's there, it, we were already kind of prepared for this. Uh, but what we weren't prepared for is the fact that everybody needed help getting set up uh, to work remotely. That was the one. That was the first thing. Uh, they they needed uh, you know not your average CEO knows how to uh, buy a web camera uh, like a webcam, or how to you know make sure your sound is right and and hey don't use Wi-Fi you should plug in that kind of thing. A lot of people were not aware of these little trick tips and tricks so these calls started funneling in and i was asked to do these remote webinars uh with uh, with other companies that were having issues they didn't know what to do so 
um, I worked uh, pretty closely with uh, Tom McManaman on one of these projects, and it, it really sparked a new idea. And I'm very, very happy uh, to, to to take this on. So what we did was we we call it virtual director. I don't. It may change. It's a new it's a new concept. But uh, instead of having a live webinar feed of three people, three talking heads talking, we decided that. Hey, why don't we interview each one of them? Uh, they can talk on the phone, but I'm going to get three separate feeds from them and let them ha- go through their bullet points and let them talk on the topic at the same time. So now what I've got is I've got three computers recording three different people. and But because it's live, um, I'm capturing it in time code and I can sync it up later because now I have high quality video of each person. And now I can go back, edit it together, put in lower third graphics, make the sound great, put an audio bed there, put their slides in, and make it appear as though it's actually live, and then rebroadcast it as a live event. So this was this was very challenging because uh, you know I, I would I would pop my head up on camera and say, okay, all right, we got to stop that right there. Can you say that again? And or somebody's kid came in the room or something like that, which happens all the time. And if you look at the fails on YouTube, there you look up Zoom fails, and you'll see all these little nuances that happen during a web conversation, and uh, and and they're rather unfortunate. So I said, let's keep it professional. Let's do this the right way the quality was better uh the audio was great i worked with each person to uh to make sure that the cameras were were, were capturing their best uh a couple guys i had to think about like you got to turn your body around 180 degrees because there's a window behind you <laughs> <laughs> and like what kind of microphone do you have laying around one guy had an old radio shack microphone and we converted it with an adapter and it's and it improved the sound by 100 percent. i don't know there was a lot of little nuances there that we had to overcome and once we put that first piece together it was amazing when it went out live because you know what what the user seeing is is pretty much a seamless uh, webinar and it didn't need to be uh, live didn't need to be live but you put it out there as a live thing it you know it notifies people that this particular person or company is live and you know that gets the same amount of attention well that's incredible so I know you've done some innovation and um, and really kind of taken what is many people are viewing as a negative experience and i think you're you're showing some positive innovations that could come out of that and i think i'm hoping that that's what a lot of us learn right i mean we none of us wanted this to happen but i think there can be some positives come out of it what do you think are some positives maybe you could share that companies should start thinking more about that maybe they weren't thinking about 3 or 4 months ago first let me preface that by saying that I, I I almost feel bad that there's like good friends of mine that are just out of work now. They some of them can't even collect unemployment and they're they're struggling and I I recognize that and I I, I, I certainly didn't want to capitalize it and rub it on you know, rub it on somebody's face. Like, you know, I just wanted to make sure our business was still up and running and trying to keep up with the trends and fortunately we're in that business that you know we were kind of needed um and and business literally at march doubled or maybe close to tripling uh in in revenue because of this now where do i think it's going um let me give you an example I think a lot of companies initially were very much against remote employees. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, the state, my better half works for the state. So, and trust me, she can't wait to get back to work. <laughs> now the state, because they never offered this before, or they did and it was very limited, they're, they're looking at the cost savings at this point uh, of remote employees and are thinking, first of all, it seems as though our employees are actually working more hours 
They're more productive for some reason, or at least some of them are. And we don't have to pay that overhead to put them in a cubicle and give them, you know, put them, keep the coffee flowing and the water cooler and all the expenses that come with having an employee in the office. So they're reconsidering that business model, okay, to have remote employees. So I think at some point, um, even companies that were completely against the idea are completely revamping their business model, saying we don't need to have this person in the office as long as we can trust them you know we put it some good solid policies in place we can make sure that this happens and that in turn is going to help my business in the long run because now i can help set them up uh, with video servers and their own uh, ways of of e-learning and by by the way that's another one of our big big uh skill sets here is e-learning we've set up servers just for that but consider all those little factors that are going to save companies money and i really do think that they're going to take that step you're going to see a definite change well rob this has been amazing i really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about all the different things you've been doing and some of the forward-looking things that i think a lot of business i agree that are going to look at incorporating making themselves a little more efficiently it'd be good for the company as well as for the employees when implemented correctly um you've been listening to master your finances uh you can listen to this podcast as well as all of our podcasts by going to masteryourfinances.us Remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. 